Well, I have a strong memory of the first time that our uh, family went on vacation outside of Chicago. And we went in late at night to Colorado, and we're driving in, and, and we arrived at a, a cabin on the foothills of the mountains in this small little town called Frisco, Colorado. And we went to bed that night and got up the next morning. We started eating breakfast. And then we walked outside, and my jaw hit the floor because I was confronted. Uh, the Rocky Mountains were staring me in the face. And I had never seen a, a, a maj the majesty of the mountains like that moment. It was breathtaking. It was framed by these clouds that, that they were a revelation of the color silver to me. It was just this, this glorious sight in front of me. And it was my view that completely changed my experience. The view that I had in that morning completely exchanged my experience. Uh, completely changed my experience. Now, this is a reality for us. Do you know that your view of your surroundings completely affects your experience? Your view of self, your view of God, completely can alter your experience in life. What went unseen did not mean that it was not present. And when the present became reality... When the present became reality, it completely brought a new perspective into my life in that moment. And so when we, when we have the presence of life that comes, it shows itself, it forces us, it pushes us to find and understand a new reality, a new revelation within our hearts. Paul says this in, in verse 18 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. He says this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be what? may be enlightened, that light would shine into your heart. He doesn't pray that God would become a better God. He doesn't pray that your surroundings would become better surroundings. He prays that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. When light shows up on that mountain, it completely changes my experience. When the light of Christ shows up in your heart, there are things that are present within you. Come on. There are things that are there. There are giftings that are present within you that the light hasn't shown up on yet. There are riches in Christ that are present within your soul. They are there, but they are not a reality yet in your soul. There are purposes of God that he has ordained and designed over you that are present, but, but the light of Christ hasn't shown up. So for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about, and we're going to be in a series called Ephesians. I'm, I'm sorry, called Revealed in the book of Ephesians. We see in Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what it says in verse 9. With all wisdom and understanding, God has made known, he's revealed to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So we're going to take a, a walk through the book of Ephesians, and our prayer is this. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That the light of Christ would come into you and reveal to you who you are, who he is. This week we look specifically at Ephesians chapter 1. And each week we'll take a different theme. So we'll talk about the church revealed, unity revealed, truth revealed, mission revealed. But today we're going to talk about the church I'm sorry, we're going to talk about identity. 
catching up. Identity revealed. Identity revealed. Uh, our culture has raised the level of this conversation of the past couple months, right? Identity has been a huge conversation with our culture. I wonder how you identify yourself. Do you identify yourself uh, with your family background, with a, with a racial background? Do you identify yourself with a school association? Or maybe it's with a, a sense of brokenness in a certain area or a skill set you have, but all of us identify ourselves in different ways with different associations. I started asking myself, who am I? How do I identify myself? And, and here's what I came up with. I am a father. I am a husband. I am an over-the-hill ball player. <laughs> I'm a sports junkie, an adventure seeker, a family man, an incredibly good-looking man <laughs> in an ugly sort of a way. <laughs> I'm a hard worker, a God-fearer. I roll with the punches. I'm an optimist. I am a pessimist. I am a Schmidgall. I am a Chicagoan. I am a culinary explorer. I am a left-lane driver with a right-lane car. <laughs> I am competitive. I am harmony. I am grateful. I am a sinner. I am a life-redeemed a new creation. I am in Christ. I found I am most like myself when I am most like Christ. One of the toughest seasons of life for me uh, was when my dad passed away of a heart attack suddenly. It was gone in an instant. And uh, a rock of my faith was all of a sudden removed. And a couple of months later, four-year relationship went wrong, and through a web of lies, it ended. And so I found my, my identity that was so rooted uh, in an individual, and now that was gone. I found my self-esteem was so rooted in an individual, and now that was false. And so two relationships that were source for me, they were center for me, they were gone, and I found myself face down on the floor asking questions like this, like, how could this happen? Why, God, did this happen to me? What do I do? Like, why am I even here? And it was in that season that I found the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's an epistle written to the believers at Ephesus and the believers in Asia Minor. It's written uh, between the years 60 and 62 A.D., and it, Paul wrote this letter when he was in captivity, when he was in prison. It's one of the prison epistles. And he wrote it in his last days, right before trial, right before he would potentially be killed. This is when Paul wrote it. In other words, he wrote it, and he did so with, with he was direct, and he was encouraging. And, and his words were distilled because he only wanted to give the best of what he had to offer to the believers in those few moments. So the book shouldn't be read as an apologetic. The book should be read as a love letter from God to his people in eyes of redemption. So we're going to go ahead and jump in this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's dig in. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Note Paul's credentials were not his academic training or his rabbinical leadership. His credentials were Jesus' 
to God's holy people in Ephesus. He identifies the people as God's people. That was their identity. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I was talking to a girl this week uh, who came on mission to the Southeast White House and was sharing with us, and, and she shared some of her stories. She said, you know what, I grew up and I was taught to respect Jesus, and I was taught to be kind like Jesus. But then I met this group of, of people who believed in him, and they had an active relationship with him, and they loved him, and it pushed me out of my comfort zone. She said, I decided to begin to pursue a relationship in Christ instead of just trying to be like Christ. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 58. It says, Peter followed Jesus at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Some of us follow like Peter. He followed at a distance because he could see what was happening, but there was no personal accountability to be a part of what was happening. Some of us follow Jesus at a distance so we can see the miracles that are going on and we can be a part of the experience as something happens. We don't want to miss out on the energy and the excitement and the goodness. But when things go wrong, where do we go? We're out of there. There's a huge difference between the two. Are you around Christ or are you in Christ? So I said to this girl, I said, so you went from asking the question, what do I do, to who am I? And she said this, she said, it's less about who am I and more about who I am. I am in Christ. And everything I do flows out of that place, flows out of the central purpose or the central understanding that I am in Christ. You are not your job. You are not your money. You are not your car. You are not your house. You are not what's in your back pocket. You are not your skill set. You are in Christ. The, the phrase in Christ is mentioned 15 times in the book of Ephesians more than any other book. It's a foundational understanding to who we are in God. When you act in a play, here's the deal. You don't just memorize lines, right? You try to get the essence of a character. And so if you find the essence, if you gain the understanding, the essence of a character, if you miss a line or you miss a movement or a moment or, or there's a physical cue that, that you don't hit, you know, it's okay because you have the essence of the character and everything you do can still flow because you are centered out of that essence if you have that understanding. When we come into Christ, if, if we find his essence, if we are in Christ, he can take those miscues, those misses, those mistakes, and he can take those mistakes and he, and he can pull them back around because we are in Christ, because we have his essence, because we have a central understanding that we are in him, that we are his. Every problem we have is rooted in how we see God and how we see ourselves. Verse 4 says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will 
to the praise of his glorious grace. We are more than friends. We are more than servants. We are more than followers. We are family. Isn't that awesome? We are family in Christ. We are adopted, as the scriptures say. You have given family and you have chosen family. And to be adopted is to be chosen. Now, Paul uses the Roman custom of adoption as the picture of how God chooses us. It's kind of interesting. In, in Rome, the adoption was used more for adults than it was for children. And what would happen was when you were adopted by a family, you, gained, you became an heir to all their possessions, to everything they owned, to all their rights, to all their privileges. All that became yours in adoption. And so it's this picture of God not just choosing us or receiving us by natural matters. Do you hear what I'm saying? But God choosing us in accordance with his good pleasure. Isn't that awesome? In accordance with his good will. In other words, God chooses us because he delights in us. He delights, he finds pleasure in sharing his kingdom within us. Growing up, one of my best friends, uh, was adopted, and I got to know this friend. I got close to this friend because uh, he lost a parent when he was younger, and so we were able to share life and love, and, and we just became tight friends. And so at one point, I asked this friend, I said, have you ever thought about like going and trying to find your biological parents? And he said, no, I haven't. He said, I, I don't need to. He said, I, you know, my, my parents, like they chose me, and nobody could love me more than they love me. In our family, we have a little tradition that all the dads say to their kids, and I think Pastor Mark actually might have started it. He, and so I'll, I'll take, I'll grab Ella, and, it, and she's going to bed, and I'll say, Ella, you know, if you lined up all the little girls in a line, and I had the chance to choose one of those girls to be my oldest daughter, you know which one I would choose? I said, who? i choose you. And she gets this little blush and smile on her face. And she'll either touch me, like touch my arm, or she'll grab me and hug me. Do you know that's not normal, first of all? <laughs> Come on, parents. Those are the moments you treasure, right? There's something powerful about being chosen. Paul is pleading with the believers at Ephesus. He's pleading with them to understand this idea, this concept. Listen, you are chosen. You are adopted by the king. You are his. God doesn't say when you do good things, then you'll become my child. He doesn't say, no, he says, I have made you this. Now live consistently with who you are. The more you see yourself the way God sees you, the more you begin to find your identity in Christ. Andrew Murray said it this way. He says, God doesn't love you because you're clever. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he's your father. He chose us. He adopted us. And he predestined us. That's what Paul says. He predestined us. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we have no choice in the matter? No, it doesn't mean that. But it's this age-old argument between predestination and free will. The church has been arguing this for years. And so is it one or the other? But, but here's what happens. The Scripture teaches both. And a lot of times they're right alongside one another. God is sovereign and will accomplish his work, yet 
people have a choice. I see it kind of like a, a, a pro sports draft. Shocker, right? And, but so you have a draft. And so you take, for instance, when Brandon Scherf was selected, when he was drafted by the Redskins, right? Offensive lineman. He's drafted by the Redskins. He was chosen. He was selected. The Redskins want him on their team. Everything about the Redskins says, we want you to play for us. Yet, he has a choice. He has an option. He can decide whether he wants to play for the team, even though he was chosen. He was chosen. He was predestined to play for that team, yet he still has free will in the matter. God chooses you, yet you have a choice. Verse 9 says this. Verse 9 says, With all wisdom and understanding, God made known he revealed to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. As Paul hints at our purpose. I want to try something a little different today, okay? I'm going to try something a little different. Nina has such a strong perspective on purpose. I decided I want to ask Nina to come and to speak into this point. So we all wrestle with what it is we are meant to do, Right? What will be our contribution in our lifetime? It probably starts when we're kids, because the first question that adults ask us is, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? As we wrestle with our identity, we feel a lot of the pressure to determine um, what is our purpose. We ask those questions about who were we created to be and what were we meant to do. This is something that's very prevalent, especially in American culture, right? That there, there's a lot of pressure that you be about something, that you, your lives mean something. And after 15 years here in the D.C. area, I would say that that is even more prevalent here. It's a stronger tone, a greater pressure here. So many people come to this area with a dream or a vision or a passion or a conviction, and they're determined to make an impact or a change but I've seen the trend that after a little while, there's just, there's discouragement. After long days and late hours and beginning to wonder, is what is it all about? What is it all really for? I saw and felt it firsthand myself when I worked on Capitol Hill. And now that Joel and I are in pastoral care together, we see it and we hear it in your stories. You get that little flicker of what it might be like to be a part of something really great, to really have your life be a part of something significant, to contribute something significant. But then you face the discouragement when you wake up and all of a sudden one day something, um, it feels so insignificant, so small. So Joel asked me to speak about this topic because he knows that this is something with which I have wrestled. I felt it most dramatically actually in my uh, mid-20s. I went through what some would call, it's a new term I think, a quarter-life crisis. <laughs> And since NCC is um, a church home, a church family to so many in their 20s and 30s, um, I thought that you guys could maybe let me know if some of these things are true. Um, so, of course, a quarter-life crisis is perhaps that time in your 20s and 30s when there's a wrestling of self-doubt, right? A self-doubt about who I really am and what was I maybe meant to do and am I on the path that I had intended? Um, and then there's maybe a particularly an association with that transition into the independence of adulthood. And so I came across some comedic commentary, and you guys can let me know if any of these ring a bell, right? So how to know whether you're facing a quarter-life crisis. 
Life has suddenly become much less about being young and crazy with your housemates and more about keeping the noise down at 10 p.m. because some of us have jobs. Right? <laughs> or you find yourself wrestling with the reality that managing your own money is not really as fun as it seemed. <laughs> Staying out late on a weeknight used to be no problem, but now you find yourself asking what time things will roughly end. And you have approximately eight weddings to attend this year that you have to buy gifts for and pay for plane tickets and get time off of work to attend. But you're still young enough that if it's a family wedding, well, maybe mom and dad will still pay for your plane ticket. <laughs> so I just about the quarter life piece, but sure enough, in my case, I was right about 25 years old. And I'd been out of college for a few years by that point, and I had flown cross-country, I'm originally from California, for, um, for this job that was going to be exciting and I was going to be able to use my, my personal convictions to make a stand and make a greater America. But then after a few years of those long hours and those late nights, um, I started to feel that sense of discouragement, wondering, is this, am I really contributing to anything and what is it all really for? I began to see that in my own characteristics of my own personal development, spiritually and personally, that maybe I hadn't developed to the extent that I thought that I would have. I hadn't matured or grown. I was still wrestling with some of the same things. And on top of that, I was a few years into a relationship with someone that I wasn't sure if it was leading to marriage. Now, while those feelings that I felt most pronounced during that particular season, that hasn't been the only time for me. And some of you might be in your own quarter-life crisis and wrestling in that way, but others of you might find those same doubts and those same wrestling at your different stage of life, right? That might be something that contends to those feelings that rear their, their overwhelming head at, at various stages or places. So maybe you're just out of school. You're trying to determine what it is that you'll to do, you're to do and and how you're going to use your giftedness in the world. Or maybe you're a little further along, and you've had a thriving career that you loved, but now you're a mom at home with the little one, and you find yourself wondering, is my life really going to be just be about cleaning and feeding and cleaning and feeding and then feeding and cleaning? Or maybe you can't seem to shake that yearning, wherever stage of life that you are, that yearning that for your name to be known or to mean something, for some sort of notoriety, a desire that you be known. And maybe even you're more advanced in your career path and you've had many successes, but you find yourself wondering, is this really all that there was? Was I supposed to do something else? What is my destiny? What am I supposed to accomplish? You might be familiar with the Strengths Finder assessment, the test. It's, it's an assessment, a personal assessment, to identify what are your strengths and to learn how to maximize those in your workplace or in your, um, in your vocation or in your personal life. So when I first took the Strengths Finder test, I was not really pleased with my results. Um, one of my strengths, strengths, I always think this is an interesting one, is significance. I'm like, ugh, I can't even hardly read this description to you without feeling a little bit embarrassed, but here it goes. In the truest sense of the word, you want to be recognized. You want to be heard. You want to stand out. You want to be known and appreciated for the unique strengths that you bring. You feel a need to be recognized as credible and successful. <laughs> so I'm mature enough to understand and see the benefits of having a passion for success. 
but it doesn't really feel like something that a believer should be, right? But however, we were made to be sustained by a meaningful and a purposeful future. We were made to be strengthened each day by this assurance, the confidence that what's happening in our lives today, no matter how mundane or how ordinary or repetitive, that it is significant and it is moving towards something important. So I feel for you. I feel for those of you that are sitting here feeling a desperation to know what is God's plan for you. You're anxious. You're maybe even flailing to find out the next step. And I want to establish in your hearts an assurance of your destiny a great and a beautiful future that you don't ever have to wonder about your days, empty what might feel like futile days or an unknown future. We do find our answers in Ephesians 1. And as God told us, as Joel told us earlier, God chose you. And when he did, he gave you a purpose and he predestined that purpose to come about. And the purpose is that you would be a child of God, that you would be part of his, you would be part of his family and you would be an heir to all that he owns. Joel mentioned how our destiny is, um, is mentioned in verse 5. We're predestined to sonship. And verse 6 tells us why. We're predestined into his sonship to the praise of the glory of his grace. So our blamelessness in him is not a gift in and of itself. It is to be to the praise of his glory. And if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, you are growing into an absolutely glorious future in the Lord. There, is no, there are no unimportant days in your life you don't ever have to go to bed at night feeling or wondering what the day was about or what is your next step. And you should never give in to the lie that you are not a part of an awesome purpose. And you know what? You don't have to feel the pressure of accomplishment either. It is such good news that we don't have to prove anything to anyone and not even to ourselves. So it's time to surrender that pressure of what we think that we're supposed to do. Because we don't have to feel, um, we don't have to prove what we can do because of what he has already done, right? So what is my purpose then? It's to bring glory to the Father in your unique way, in your unique season. It doesn't matter how or in what job. So to the young person on a career path, just take one step forward to honor and honor him as that path unfolds. And to the mother that feels like your days are repetitive and it's impossible to count your victories, praise him in this season before it's over. And to the person further along feeling an urge for more or looking for ways um, to invest, then begin to look for ways to invest in the development of another, right? And to, to really use all that you've learned for the praise of his glory. There is no higher hope there is no greater future. There is no more, no more meaningful tomorrow. There is no more um, wonderful cause for which to live than to reflect and praise the glory of his grace forever and ever. So I love the message version of verse 11 and 12, of course, in Ephesians 1. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. He had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose that he's working out in everything and everyone. And verse 13 goes on like this. The signet from God is a reminder that we'll get everything that God has planned for us, a praising and a glorious life. So at the beginning of this year, I had a chance to attend a New Year's service by the famous Bishop T.D. Jakes was speaking. And um, at one point during his very powerful message, um, you can imagine, he said God had sent him with the word. 
And as he began to declare it, it became very clear to me that the word was for me. And I'll say it today because perhaps it's for you. For you. He said that God sent me here to, to rebuke a spirit of frustration. Right? And I claim that today. He went on to remind us that God's word said, I foreknew you, I predestined you, and then I called you into what has, he has already prepared. So I rebuke that spirit of frustration today. Ephesians 1 is about who we are in Christ. We are chosen. We are predestined. We are purposed. And it says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Identity comes out of three things. Identity comes out of three things. Number one, God created you. Number two, Jesus died for you. Number three, the Spirit of God is alive and well within you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. How do you live in Christ? Verse 9 speaks it to us. It says, by his grace, in faith, we receive Christ. If you have the guts to step out in faith towards Christ, he will honor you. If you have the guts to take a step of faith, the word says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you have the guts to, to move towards God, he will show up and he will center you in Christ. Here's what's awesome about this step. We, we heard it in verse 10. It says this, that, that when you step towards God, you become God's masterpiece. Isn't that awesome? The word, uh, the Greek word is poema. And we translate it as poem. So what the scripture is saying is that, that you are God's poem. God does not want you to copy your coworker. He doesn't want you to copy culture. He doesn't want you to copy your friend. You are an original. You are, are, are his handiwork. You are his workmanship, the work of his hands. You are a poem from God to the world. You you are his masterpiece. Realize, know who you are in Christ. As Nina shared, we're searching, we're reaching constantly for our identity. Look up to him. Step towards Christ. I talked about it earlier at the very beginning. I talked about one of the toughest seasons in life for me, and I was reaching out and I couldn't find anything. And it was one of those seasons where I didn't bounce. You know what I mean? Like I hit, you hit the bottom and then you bounce back sometimes. I hit the bottom and I stuck. And I, went, I would go to bed overwhelmed and depressed. And I'd wake up overwhelmed and depressed. And it just wasn't leaving. It wasn't going away from me. I was stuck in this place. And I remember meeting with, with Dr. Dick Foth in that season long ago. And we sat down and... and he spoke into me and he prescribed this. He said, why don't you take Ephesians chapter 1 and why don't you rewrite it in your words? 
why don't you rewrite it? Take it from the third person and rewrite it to the first person. Instead of we, it's I. And rewrite it, and then every morning, get up and say it. Read it. Pray it. Pray it aloud every morning. And then every night before you go to bed, pray it aloud. And do it over and over for 30 days. Why don't you try this? So I stepped in, and I tried it. And, and at the beginning, it seemed forced. And it seemed weird that I was reading out loud, and then I was trying to pray it out loud. And it seemed trite, but then after doing it over and over and over and over again, something started to take root in my spirit. And that was this, that I am not my own, but I was made with a purpose. I was made by a creator. I am no accident. I am in him. God chose me. God predestined me. He adopted me. He called me. He called me out. He pulled me up. He set me straight. He set me on a path. He poured grace into my life. The blood of Jesus came over me, and I began to realize this, that I am not my own. I am in Christ. And when you are in Christ, what happens? You are a new creation. And in giving my life to Jesus, I started to find myself. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in service to the king. To lay it down. To surrender before God. Proverbs 9.10 says this. Knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. If Pastor Mark were here, he would say this. You are the only you. You are unique. No one can worship God like you, and no one can worship God for you. That's not just a testament to you. That's a testament to the God who created you. Listen, I am not saved because I'm good. I am saved because of the Father's love. He loves you today. He has a purpose over your life. Step in and center yourself in his goodness and his grace today. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that we are alive in Christ. And Lord, we take a moment here today just to pray in your spirit, to pray your spirit's purposes over our lives today, God. I pray for those of us who are reaching, who are searching, Lord, who are, are trying to find who we are and trying to find what our purpose is. I pray, God, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom not to look all around us, not to look to somebody else, or not to look to our works or what we can do. I pray today that you would give us divine wisdom to look heavenward. And I pray today that Christ would fill our hearts and all your good pleasure fill us today. Lord, I pray for those of us who maybe are at the ground level and we haven't bounced Lord, give us the strength to look to you and fill us and pick us up today, God. Help us to reroot ourselves, to reestablish ourselves, to reestablish our foundations in the living God. Lord, we give you our lives this morning. We pray that you would do a unique work within us and we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to you. 
Thank you for your work in us, God. We thank you for your work within us, Lord. Thank you for the work within Nina and how you made her new and you are making her new every day. Thank you for the testimony in my life, how you have made me new and you are making me new. I pray, Jesus, that, there, that, this, that this word would not be left on the shelf. It wouldn't be left on the seat. It wouldn't be left in the podcast today, Lord. I pray that it wouldn't sit there as a good word, but I pray right now that we would fully take this in, that we would fully receive our goodness in Christ Jesus, that we would receive that today. And if you're here today and, and uh, God's calling you to a step of faith, you need, to, you need to get some guts to take a step of faith and you want to follow him for the first time. You have not made this commitment to him. You have not given your, him your life fully. If that's you here today, just as a sign to God, it's kind, of, it's kind of having some guts moment. That's what this is. And as our heads are bowed, just lift your hand up towards, the, towards Christ right now, if that's you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You got to t- thank you. Yep, I see you back there. Yeah, yeah, see you guys over here. Thank you. Thank you. Amen, I see you back there. Man, praise God. You can put your hands down. Thank you. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm looking the wrong direction, I'm going the wrong way, and, or I'm searching, and I just, I just haven't, I haven't found my place. If that's you today, just as a sign to saying, you know what, I want to be in Christ. I don't want to just follow from a distance. I want to come close, and I want Christ to be in me, to live in me. If that's you here today, just lift up your hands to the heavens right now. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, these hands, what these hands are, are they are praise to you. They are hands lifted up in surrender to you. They are hands lifted up to say you are God and we are your people. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to see ourselves rightly before you. And I pray today that you would help us to see you. Lord, give us the proper perspective on self and the proper perspective on you, our creator, our God today. So Lord, we just receive your grace right now. We receive it in full measure. And I pray, Lord, that that we would have the discipline to take steps from here, to step into your presence on a daily basis, not to keep you to the side, to the right or the left, but to fully center ourselves in Christ Jesus, because you make us new. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the newness we have in Jesus Christ. So we commit ourselves today, we resolve within our soul today to follow close after you and we'll receive your grace in our lives. We put our full faith in you today, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.